0: Welcome to Work Sighted, a podcast about poems. I'm Kevin Couture calling in from Boston, and I am joined by Luke Stromberg. Hey, how's it going? Not too bad, man. How about you? All right. Yep. And uh, we're also joined by Luke Bowerline. Howdy.
1: Good to be with you guys.
0: Yeah, all right. So, uh, hey, what are you guys reading? Uh, uh, what's uh, what have you been reading lately?
1: You know, um, this is almost a little embarrassing, I have to say, because I haven't... Um, like gone on like a deep dive into any books of poetry recently. I've been reading a lot of different um, political things, and one of the things that um, has I've kind of been returning to a lot is called "This Is an Uprising" uh, by Mark and Paul Engler, and they both um, are from the Philly area. And basically, it sort of like compiles um, a, an overview of uh, different strategies and nonviolent campaigns and tactics that have actually worked to affect change, and it kind of gives you an analysis of what they think worked and what didn't and kind of just uh present a, a historical overview um that sort of suggests that uh non-violent tactics have a have a rate of success at, at two to one over violent ones mm. and so uh, yeah that's just been uh, kind of uh it's got my imagination working and some of the times we're living through in america right now i think um it's just good to have some of that stuff at your disposal oh but yeah that's kind of what i've been into right wow yeah
0: now. <laughs> no that yeah that sounds really interesting i'm gonna have to uh check that out um the uh stromberg um what are you into these days
2: well i've i've been a lot less lofty than um and <laughs> not as lofty yeah. as power lines <laughs> but I, i've been rereading the electric kool-aid acid test by tom wolf yeah very Ooh. cool but it's a book i read when i was in high school but um you know I, i'm about halfway through it again i haven't read it for I think I was in high school when I read it but several years and I'm,
0: I'm really enjoying that. Um Yeah. How about you? Well, so like we we go from like a really uh you know, hard hitting um uh, social commentary to, you know, well, I mean, Tom, you know, Electric uh, Kool-Aid Acid Test is um is definitely like an important historical document. I've been reading Sorry. Captain America from like 86 to 87. Nice. (laughs) Like, I just got sucked into it. Like, I picked it up on a whim, and, uh, all the stories are written by this, uh, like, really amazing comics writer, uh, Mark Grunwald. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we see Cap, um, you know, battling or working side by side with Wolverine. Well, you know, it's a fraught relationship, you know, those sorts of things. So, been cool. really, I mean, you just talk about like sophisticated literature, like, you can't get more sophisticated than that.
2: No, no, uh, <laughs> of not. yeah.
0: I, I think that speaking of sophistication, um, I think the poem we're going to talk about it definitely fits that that description. Um, I, I think that some of the things that uh, this poet does with uh, language and in, in just 14 lines, um, it's just really fantastic and can't wait to dive into it. So, Stromberg, why don't you uh, introduce the poem and uh, and give us a reading, please?
2: Yeah, okay. So um, we're going to be talking about uh, a poem by Weldon Keyes, who was a mid-century American poet. Uh, and in particular, we're going to talk about his poem, For My Daughter. So this is For My Daughter by Weldon Keys. Looking into my daughter's eyes, I read beneath the innocence of morning flesh, concealed hintings of death she does not heed. Coldest of winds have blown this air, and mesh of seaweed snarled these miniatures of hands. The night's slow poison, tolerant and bland, has moved her blood. Parched years that I have seen, that may be hers appear, foul, lingering death in certain war. The slim legs green. Or, fed on hate, she relishes the sting of others' agony. Perhaps the cruel bride of a syphilictic or a fool. These speculations sour in the sun. I have no daughter. I desire none.
0: Well, you know, a powerful poem and a powerful reading. Thank you, Luke.
2: Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, so
0: I, yeah. I, I, you know, gave a
2: little bit about um, Weldon Keys, a very little that he was a mid-century American poet. Uh, how about you guys? Do you know? Are you familiar with uh, Keys at all?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm a fan. Um, yeah. He kind of has this, like, I guess he's sort of a cult figure. You know yes. what I mean? You know, like so, some people are sort of get way into his stuff. I, in fact, he doesn't have that many. Um, only has two books, right? a slim his collected like
2: that yeah Yeah, his his collected poems
1: uh is pretty slim um yeah there's not there's not too much that he did but but, uh, yeah i'm not sure you know maybe two books get obsessed with it sometimes if they really if it really strikes them
0: yeah that's definitely the impression i get i mean there's there is a, a major you know cult following within the poetry community which is really funny because i when you think about it the entire poetry community is kind of a cult following of you know <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: this this marginalized art form that we just we all love but uh and also too i think one of the reasons that maybe his collected poems are so slim is that he he did a lot well and he also i mean he died or disappeared early on too but um, yeah, you know, I mean, he was a painter. Trouble. He was an amazing painter. I, uh, before we got on, uh, you know, I was just like kind of reading up on him a little bit, and you know, check out his paintings on uh, you know Google Image Image Search. They're yeah. uh, they're really striking. Um,
2: and he yeah. was a um, musician. He was a uh, right. yeah. Filmmaker. He, he was. Um, he wrote mm-hmm. fiction. There's a yeah, yeah. there's a novel there's that a- came out a few years ago that was published. Mm-hmm. A, a collection of short stories. Yeah, That's so yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he was kind of like a, a renaissance guy in, in a lot of ways, and uh, yeah, I guess the the one thing that and pro- that probably makes him a cult figure that there's that lends this air of mystery and intrigue to Keys is the fact that he did disappear when he was only, I think he was only forty, maybe early forties. Mm-hmm. Um, they found his car on like you know on the. Uh, entry ramp to the Golden Gate Bridge, abandoned Appears that maybe he jumped off the bridge and committed yeah. suicide, but uh, they never found his body. There are all kinds of speculations. He told somebody that he was thinking about running away to Mexico and starting his life over, so who knows? Maybe that's what he did. Maybe he um, found Ambrose Pierce. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, you know, so uh, there's that kind of uh, intrigue uh, around him that in some ways threatens to overshadow his work mm-hmm. um,
0: Yeah,
2: but his poems are really good uh, I, I think he's one of my favorite poets I, I, mm-hmm. I really enjoy him um, but you can kind of see there's like a and, and this poem is definitely indicative of this kind of bleak world view that he has like he's a, yeah. a bitter poet like yeah. Yeah, very dark but yeah Yeah, so, uh, I mean, that's Weldon keys. So this poem is a sonnet, which is interesting. That's, you know, something that we we could talk about. Uh, I think it's, though, it's an unconventional sonnet. Okay. Uh, So it's fairly regular if you scan it. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, iambic pentameter. Uh, It rhymes. But it's not a Petrarchan sonnet right. and it, it seems at first like a Shakespearean sonnet, but yeah. it, it, it doesn't really follow that structure. Right. So it's mm-hmm. like, it's kind of, it's, it's own type of thing. Um, so the typical Elizabethan or Shakespearean sonnet, you know, there are three quatrains, uh, uh groups of four lines, and then it ends with a couplet, right? Mm-hmm. And this poem ends with a couplet too. Um, mm-hmm. but, The typical Elizabethan style uh, sonnet, it has the rhyme scheme A, B, A, B, C, D, C, D, E, F, E, F, G, G. Mm -hmm. Now that's the typical uh, uh, Elizabethan sonnet rhyme scheme. But this sonnet has the following rhyme scheme A, B, A, B, C, C, D, E, D, E, F, F, G, G. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So it has this like wonky um, kind of uh, rhyme scheme to it, uh, and 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 it kind of plays with the sonnet structure a little bit. Yeah, so it, it's unconventional.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think what he's what it seems that he's doing there too is like with that first those four first four lines, he's setting you up for oh this is going to be a Shakespearean sonnet, and then all of a sudden you're faced with a couplet, and you're like what yeah you know? yeah
2: right 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 he, he like he plays against our uh expectations and i mean the rhyme scheme in uh, uh, elizabethan sonnet that rhyme scheme suggests like kind of units of sense as well right that there you know that you could almost split the poem up according to stanzas and there's like you know usually there's like a an idea expressed in the you know the one quatrain, and then some a different related idea in the next, right? But this poem it doesn't organize itself, structure itself around the rhyme scheme, right? So there is this like kind of intricate rhyme scheme that it creates, but then the poem like spills across those boundaries. It doesn't, it doesn't, um, you know, organize itself according to that structure. He's using the form. But the poem is also straining
0: against the form. I, I also think that this this sonnet has two turns. Okay. The first turn I see is in the line "Or fed on hate, she yeah. relishes the sting." Uh, that's definitely a turn, uh, because right. you know, up until this point, he's been thinking about all the awful things that could befall his daughter, mm-hmm. and then he then he turns and says all the awful things that his daughter could do. Uh, right, so. right.
2: Which is an interesting, definitely an interesting turn.
0: Yeah, and then I think maybe this is again this this may be harebrained that the last line, uh, "I have no daughter, I desire none," is in a way a kind of turn. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, I I, I kind of feel like the one thing that it, it preserves from the, uh you know, the Elizabethan sonnet is I I, I feel like there is definitely. That final couplet, like hmm. I, I would say that there's a turn with with the with the final couplet. These speculations sour in the sun. I have no daughter. I desire none. So, in a lot of ways, that's working like the classic final couplet of the sonnet. Uh, but there are, but there's two other couplets in this poem that did that don't really function as couplets. I mean, they rhyme, but you know they don't have that couplet feel, but this one definitely does. And there is like a real turn there. Yeah.
1: Right. And they're, they're, and they're end stopped. You know, yeah. trying to hear that a little harder. Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. And um, yeah, kind of, I, well, I don't want to uh, move too far away from, you know, from the final couplet, which is wonderful. But the, uh, uh, the first couplet that comes up uh, of seaweed snarled. Well, you know, actually I had to kind of begin with the line above it, you know, Uh, coldest of winds have blown this hair and mesh of seaweed snarled these miniatures of hands the night's slow poison tolerant and bland but as you said i mean um, the sense of that uh, structure there is not a couplet and yet here we have the rhymes and and the rhymes you know um you know it's not a perfect rhyme like he's got that s and that you know, the plural form on the one hand and then a, a singular on the other. And like, you know, I know some poets that would, you know, start a, a small war uh, or <laughs> something like that. Um, what, what's his reasoning behind, um, you know, sort of playing around with the, with the rhyme scheme this way? I mean, I think we've, we've talked about how he's, he's definitely playing with convention. He's, he's sort of upsetting our uh, expectations formally, but is there anything else he's doing uh, with this?
1: when Keyes is writing i mean i think that there's a little bit more um of a tent that your, your reader of poetry is going to be a little bit more aware of different formal techniques and so i i think that one of the things that he's doing right by introducing these variations is is so that there's a feeling of unsettling and of the poem kind of coming undone even if we can't quite articulate why that is right we, we i mean the content is obviously dark but i think uh the way the ra- the cadences of the rhymes and um the enjambment over some of them i think yeah. that provides a feeling of un- a- a unsettlement that kind of um makes that final couplet hit with more impact actually like it doesn't totally feel like um like he was just lying to us you know right. what i mean it actually does feel i think on subsequent readings that he let us there like there was this unraveling you could kind of tease out the through line as, as shocking as those final lines are the first time i read them
0: yeah, that's a that's a really good uh, uh, look at it, uh, Baroline. Like, yeah, you know, you feel that unraveling before it actually hits you in, in the semantic sense. Mm. Well, I mean, and then there's the whole sense of
2: the poem is called "For My Daughter," right, which mm-hmm. sets up an expectation right. for the type of poem that you're going to read, right? Mm-hmm. And and you look at it, and on the page, you're like, oh, a sonnet, right? It's right. Nice, you know, like. Um, and there's a whole tradition of sonnets. I mean, um, but you expect one kind of poem. And and almost immediately, like, you know, in the, in the second or, or, or third line, he upsets that expectation, right? Yeah. Um, so, like, looking into my daughter's eyes, I read beneath the innocence of morning flesh, concealed hintings of death she does not heed. And right there, almost immediately, like, yeah you're like, oh, okay, you know, at least for me, the first time I read it, this is not going to be the poem I thought it was going to be. And if you've read this poem out of context of, like, Key's collected poems, you know, uh, as I first did in just an anthology, it's even more surprising. So I, I think kind of the way that he, you know, plays with the form is in line with this whole idea of, like, okay, I'm going to use this form i I'm going to set up this these expectations, but I'm gonna keep you on your toes because i'm I'm not gonna completely follow the conventions
0: yeah yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: um but i I'd actually like to come back a little bit and while yeah. we're talking about like the formal elements of the poem because and and hopefully this doesn't get too wonky here, but I think there is something there. It's definitely a bit off about that final couplet. I mean, it really works as a final couplet, son and nun, and they're like mm-hmm. end stop. But there's something that's still kind of off about it for me that I, I think enhances like this kind of unsettling. That it it goes along with what he's saying. You know, there is is an example I think of um, form mirroring content. But most of the poem, if you scan it, is fairly regular. Uh, I mean, well, the, the first line, there's a, you know, a substitution in the mm-hmm. first foot, right? But they are typical kinds of substitutions. Um, I think in the in the ninth line, the first foot is clipped, right? But that final couplet, it, it is a little off. For one, they're both nine syllables, right? So it's not like a perfect line of iambic pentameter. Uh, and like, how would you scan those lines? Uh, just curious, um, because I, I, you know, I was kind of struggling with this this afternoon. How would you scan those lines?
0: You say that they they have nine syllables. Like when I, when I read these speculations sour in the sun, maybe it's my my accent, but uh, I actually scan sour as two syllables.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah
0: you know and, and, and I'll I'll emphasize huh, the yeah I'll emphasize the beats and, and give you my scansion um, these speculations sour in the sun i have okay. no daughter i desire none <laughs> yeah so um, well
2: i could see and, and that makes sense if you're if you're reading sour as two syllables yeah because i i kind of scanned that line these speculations sour in the sun this way, first an I am mm-hmm. these speculation. So two I. So these speculations sour in the sun. So these speculations sour. I have those as three I am's. But then with with sour, like I want to put the emphasis on in there. So I think you're you're right that to read. Sour as two syllables, right? Mm-hmm. But then, anyway, in any case, it ends with a stressed syllable right. on son, right? But the next line um, mm-hmm. I have no daughter, I desire none. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of read that none as a dying fall, right? Okay. So, yeah. so I only have four beats in that line. Yeah. I have no daughter i de- desire and then there's no beat on none oh, right right i mean it's close so you yeah. I, you almost yeah, yeah, yeah. but it kind of like sets my teeth on edge a little bit when you, <laughs> there's something there's something flat about it that yeah. just ends i desire none and you know that kind of just flat sort of uneasy ending there um, and it is like kind of loud and sing-songy, but there's something again that's just a little bit off about it.
0: Yeah, I, I can definitely hear what you're saying, especially in that second line. I would be tempted to make none, you know, put a stronger emphasis yeah, on it. Yeah, um, so
2: yeah, I mean, it's it's ambiguous for yeah. me. Yeah,
0: but uh, but no, I, I th- you know I, I like your reading of it um, very much because it it definitely it ends like you know as you say on an ambiguous note. On a the music of it doesn't quite resolve at the end.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. So even though it's it's kind of clamped shut in a way, there's something flat about it. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I mean, it's just interesting. There's like a um, an elegance to to your reading Luke and the fact that it ends with that the last word is none. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it, that just <laughs> I, kind of I know fun. He's paying attention to language uh, closely enough that it wouldn't. You know, what I mean, it, that very well could be that uh, that that. You, I think you're onto something for sure.
2: And I mean, I think uh, too that the séjour that pause in the final line is great too
1: i have mm-hmm. no daughter i desire none
2: yeah right i mean they kind well, yeah. of, it
1: kind of turns in like a newspaper kind of writing
2: yeah like a kind of clipped sort a of
1: clip, uh, yeah yeah yeah
2: like i mean he's saying something that's kind of intense but like it's just this yeah. kind of flat a, laconic kind of way of speaking uh, especially when it's contrasted with the earlier sentences like the you know the sentences earlier in the poem are longer and more complex yep uh, so the the rhythm sort of changes you know it, again it end stops two end stop lines, and uh yeah those the, the the last line is made up of those two brief sentences with like parallel structure it's like a hard boiled sort of I was un- going to say I' saying it's, it's yeah
0: it, it get it becomes hard boiled at the end, especially and. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean and really those those short sentences in that last line are just so beautifully contrasted with everything that goes before it, you know. Uh, you know, I mean some some of the syntax is um, I mean there's some challenge uh, in the syntax of this poem up until the end. You know, whatever we might say about that last line, uh, it's certainly not newspaper writing for the thirteen lines that um no. preceded, you know. No yeah. I didn't mean that as a slate either. Oh, I mean, of course, I mean yeah. <laughs>
1: Shows my word a little bit but yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, no no I think it was a, it was a very uh, apt description you know um, it's you know and it definitely it has its place in this poem and exactly where you put it I think <laughs> I guess one thing too I mean that I'd like to just
2: go back to a little bit again coming back to the way that he uses the form and he sort of strains against the form those first 12 lines sort of kind of spill into each other like mm-hmm. he doesn't really. They do strain against the form. But I think there are, like, I I would put, like, a couple more turns, even if they were, like, minor turns in the poem. Okay. And the way that I kind of was thinking about it, looking at it, was that about every three lines, there's a sort of uh, a shift, uh, if that makes sense. Okay. So, for instance, like, it starts off, Looking into my daughter's eyes, I read beneath the innocence of morning flesh, concealed hintings of death she does not heed. So the first three lines, he's looking at his daughter and he's seeing like these hintings of death. And then it moves on to coldest of winds have blown this hair and mesh of seaweed snarled these miniatures of hands. The night's slow poison tolerant and bland has moved her blood i mean of course that's related to those first three lines but he he goes on from like looking at the daughter in the present right and then Mm -hmm. by the end of the poem of course we know that he's not looking at her at all right he's just sort of imagining this hypothetical thing right which is kind of weird because he says looking into my daughter's eyes uh maybe that's something we can come back to but he goes from like you know describing like looking at his daughter seeing some kind of thing behind her innocence to talking about ways that um that she's already been affected by like the world right the coldest of winds that have, bl- have blown this air you know i think that the verb tense is important there he's
0: talking about things that have already happened right We well, yeah uh, they well they've already happened within his vision though i think because i don't I don't take it literally, you know. That the seaweed right. is strong. okay. Yeah, I just wanted to yeah, yeah, clarify yeah, yeah, yeah. that.
2: But but there but there's like a shift in 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 verb tense. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Looking into my daughter's, I read beneath the innocence of morning flesh, concealed hintings of death. She does not heed. So it's like present tense, mm-hmm. and then he's talking about things that have already happened. Cold, cold, like you know, metaphorically, right? right. Coldest of winds have blown this hair. And mesh of seaweed snarled these miniatures of hands, Mm -hmm. and then so that that goes on for like three and a half lines, and then there's another turn to where he's like connecting it to himself and things Mm -hmm. that have happened to him, and then there's the turn that you talked about earlier, yeah, right, Um, and then there's a turn at the the couplet. So it's roughly, I think, every three lines, um, there's a sort of. A turn i don't know if you agree with that or not
0: no definitely i i that's that's a really deft handling of uh how he shifts tenses in this poem that's something that i really um you know I, I miss that a lot is you know shifting verb tenses which poets do a, a lot of um i think it's james logenbach has a, a wonderful essay about that um i'll have to dig it up and uh, share it with you guys I wonder if if these you know if these turns are 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 kind of related to in you know, a Shakespearean sonnet how you know each quatrain handles yeah. you know the the topic differently you know and then, yeah that's kind of what I was thinking yeah, of. yeah 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 so it's um and and it's it's interesting it is happening like every three and a half or four lines or so uh in the poem but it's yeah.
2: it's it's not neat and it's not, exactly yeah he's not following yeah. it. Like in the Shakespearean sonnet, like again, it would go with the quatrain, and the right. rhyme scheme kind of creates the quatrain, right? Yep. yep. Uh, a B A B C D C D. But he's not like he's kind of like using the form, but sort of straining against it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 um it's a an, an innovative way of writing a sonnet. It's 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 not typical. It's unconventional. Right. Yeah.
1: But it does seem, but it does seem very much in conversation with.
2: Oh, absolutely!
1: Yeah. Just the way what you guys have both been pointing out to, um, and may, and I think those last lines, that couplet, speaks to that too.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. I it's, it's supposed to call that to mind.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. It actually <clears throat> it calls to mind the the earliest, or I when I say earliest, like the the first sonnets in the in the numbered, numbered sequence that's been handed down to us. Uh, by Shakespeare and and um, you know all the poems about you know insisting that his the uh, the man that he's addressing you know procreate like hey you need to yeah you need to have a kid you know or or the world will lose your beauty when you die and all this you know uh, you know as as someone who <laughs> doesn't want kids uh, I always kind of you know feel like those poems were bullshit. Uh, not the poems themselves, but what they're arguing, I guess. Um, <laughs> it seems like Keyes would agree. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, and then that's actually, when you know, when I got to this, I'm like, uh, I thought, yeah, like, I, I definitely, like, he's kind of highlighting some of the reasons why I don't want children. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I can't, because I can't imagine, you know, I mean, the, the people in my life that I love, I'm already horrified by, you know, whatever, catastrophe will come to <laughs> to us you know i mean it's just and so bringing in another uh precious life uh it'll just wreck me you know anyway that that's all me and but i think yeah. it's certainly yeah. relevant you know and um yeah. especially
2: to the the part of the poem where it's a you know kind of halfway through it yeah um where he says parched years that i have seen right. that may be hers yes here you know yeah you um, know,
0: yeah that, that's the first thank you for making that connection and it didn't it didn't dawn on me that no he's he's thinking about his own parched years yeah as well as yeah uh, her potential ones yeah
2: i think it's too is important to think about like the historical context of this poem too so this poem was published in 1940 Mm-hmm. right yeah so um sort of uh, America is um, emerging. The U S is emerging from the great depression, but there's this war that's Mm -hmm. already underway in Europe. And it seems like inevitable that the U S is going to get, you know, drawn into this war. Yeah. I mean, I happen to know from reading about Keyes and from some of his other poems, uh, that he was, you know, had like a really, um, a dread about that happening and was against it. So when it was originally published in um, The Last Man, which was his first book, the next poem in the sequence is The Scene of the Crime, and then there's a poem called 4HV, 1901 to 1927. And then, um, you know, it's part two of the book, but the first poem in part two is called June 1940. Uh-huh. And it's a kind of about how a lot of the his sort of literary heroes that like wrote about the horrors of world war one are now like beating the war drum and encouraging America to get involved yeah. in the war. Um, and he, you know, he sort of laments that whole idea. Uh, and it's interesting because I, uh, this poem, uh, the, the June, 1940 has been discussed too, uh, as a possible source for Bob Dylan's idiot. Land, oh, the wow. song, uh, because the phrase, because the last line of the poem, uh, well, I'll just read the the last stanza here. It is summer again. The evening is warm and silent. The windows are dark and the mountains are miles away. And the men who are haters of war are mounting the platforms. An idiot wind is blowing. The conscience dies. Right. so there's that kind of dread of this war and this idea that, the U.S. is going to be sucked into this whole into this war, and I think that's very much in the background of this poem too. Uh, especially when he he talks about death in certain war, it is it is kind of there's a strange imagery there. But the, that that certain war, I think, would would be World War Two that was seemed inevitable that America would enter into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I think the, even the Great Depression, which was in recent memories behind the parched all, years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The Dust Bowl.
1: Yeah. Um, and uh, like we said, if he's, um, if those parched years he's looking back on are in fact his own and he's just sort of casting this, this uh, fictitious daughter right in his own past, it's certain because he knows that happened. And it's almost like this recasting of, you know, oh, like yeah. this fate gonna happen again right all the, these yeah. things that will happen again which is of course is the the parents fear right or one of the fears mm-hmm.
2: it, like why bring a uh, a child into this world that is full of suffering and war yeah,
0: yeah.
1: and you, and not to and I, I won't i promise i won't go on a deep dive about that but that is um that's one of the catalysts for uh the story in first reformed the mm-hmm. the new paul schrader movie mm-hmm. and i was oh just, yeah I've I've seen it I've seen it twice now and um, you know we've been talking about this poem or, or we knew this was coming up on the dock and it was it's hard not to think about um, the the movie's opening and there's just um, it follows a priest who's kind of going through his own crisis of face, faith but at the, at the beginning he runs into this environmental activist who's like he's just coming out of an arrest and uh, he's back home with his wife he's like in his early 30s and um, he she, his wife is pregnant and um, he's trying to convince her to have an abortion. Mm. And that's why she's brought the priest over to to talk to to him, and he's just like, I can't, I, you know, it's unconscionable to me to bring life in this world. Like I'm not yeah. depressed, you know. But uh, but uh, then they kind of tease that out. But uh, I mean, I was just, it's definitely, and I, it's certainly been um, with us for a long time. This feeling, that kind of pitch black despair, mm. which I think he's real articulating articulating here. I mean, Keys is. I mean, Kevin. I'm also kind of like really undecided on on the kids' mission yeah. myself. <laughs> so, like, you know, but th- there is some that idea to it that if you can't believe in, um, it, you know, in in the future, really, you know what yeah. I mean? It's like you don't, you don't endorse that future, right. which is is you know, it, it, yeah, sounds a lot like despair or can.
2: And, and which, actually,
1: I mean, I was. I, this leads me to this question, Luke. You can jump back if you, if you want to, too. I'm yeah, uh, interrupt. But I mean, it, it raises it raises questions for me about, um, about why, you know what I mean? Like about, Mm. um, it's so artfully constructed and, um, the, the, the title is a lie. I mean, it's almost, it's almost like a bad joke. You know what I mean? I mean, the lengths that he goes here to, to really like pull you into this world that feels real and then yank it away, um, and leave you with this emptiness. I don't know. It's, it's, um, it's kind of, it's kind of a marvel in, in technique, but then, um, it just, as it settles with me, I think about, you know, like, who wrote this? Why? Like, what was driving him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it just seems like, yeah, please, but the, you know, Dark Knight of the Soul kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, I, I I like the kind of, like, it is sort of, like, a joke with a punchline, but, yeah. like, one that's not funny. Yeah, it's a cool joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I, you know, it did...
1: like Or, like, why write it? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think the reason is, I mean, obviously, like, there's a lot of things brilliant that we've been talking about, but, like, you know why do that to people?
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. it's not just an expression.
0: Yeah. It's
1: so constructed to like do it. You know, what I mean, he's really conscious of the reader's experience and what he's taking you through. I don't know. It
2: all yeah. I it, there, there's the reader's experience, but it almost feels like it's the speaker's experience too. Oh, for real. Um, well, I mean, so, so for- it, like I'll I tell you what it kind of reminds me of, and I I, I think about it as this way: it's like, have you ever? in the middle of the night, you just had a dream and you wake up from your dream and you're you're coming back into the real world. It's still not clear to you that your dream was a dream. It right. feels real. Right. And you're like, yeah. Oh no. Like, what am I going to do about right. that thing to happen yeah. in the dream? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, so it, it almost feels like he has this dream mm. about having a daughter. Yeah. Right. And yeah. he's, he's looking at his daughter Right in the dream, right. So yeah. I mean, that kind of for me would explain, like he's saying, I'm I'm looking into my daughter's eyes, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe even explain some of like this kind of surrealistic sort of imagery of, um, you know, um, the seaweed. The, yeah, the miniature the uh, and, and mesh of seaweed snarled yeah. these miniatures of hands, right. And you know. So he he's like coming out of this dream, and then he's like, you know, but these speculations sour in the sun, like in, in mm-hmm. the light of the morning. I have no daughter. I desire none. Right? You yeah. know, like he wait. He's like, oh, like at first he feels like this anxiety about this daughter, right? Yeah. And yeah. then he realizes, wow, oh, that it was a dream. I have no daughter. Uh, but there's nothing explicit that says it's a
1: dream. No, sure, sure, but that's what he does. Logic in the way it's working on us. No, idea, I yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It feels that way to
1: me. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, because it, it feels like he's coming to that revelation himself. I almost feel like you know mm-hmm. he's like get carried away with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I remember now. I I don't have a daughter. This is just a, yeah. a, a speculation. This is just a fantasy of some kind, right? Um, yeah. so in 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 some ways, it's like the speaker's experience and the reader's experience, where you get caught up in imagining this. This girl, yeah, right. And, right. You know, it's like, oh, she's she doesn't exist. It also, I think, um, it calls to mind with the title. I mean, we already talked about the uh, the allusions to maybe Shakespeare, right, mm-hmm. uh, in, in the sonnets. But I, I think a poem that's also definitely in the background of this poem is that one of Yeats's most anthologized poems is "A uh, Prayer for My Daughter." Yep. You know, the, a prayer for my daughter, um, and th- there are a lot of like kind of parallels to to uh, to that poem. Where um, it, that poem is is kind of lengthier. I I won't. I'm not going to read the whole thing or anything like that. But like it's it sort of starts off with a, a father kind of like anxious about his daughter, right? And then Yeats's poem in the first couple stanzas, he describes like a storm outside and everything, and um, that's going on as he's sort of pacing the room, thinking about his daughter. And uh, in that poem, which is in, from the twenties, it's you know there's the Anglo-Irish War in the backdrop, and there's some references to that in the poem. Um, so again, there's this kind of idea like here I've brought this life into this troubled, war-torn world, right? Um, And he sort of imagines again in that Yeats's poem too what kind of woman she's going to turn out to be, what kind of husband she's going to have, how she's going to relate to her husband. And that's very much in Key's poem as well, like where he kind of imagines her as a bride, as the um, bride of a syphilitic or a fool the cruel bride of a syphilictic or fool right and like will she be like a tormentor of this man or whatever right I, so it seems to me that there's a lot of resonances with uh yeats's poem is a very popular poem and he, he might even be riffing on that but where yeats's poem kind of ends on a note of optimism his just kind of ends in despair <laughs> um you know, so I, I think that might be kind of like a, a motive behind this poem as well.
0: Yeah, I definitely see the the connection there. I mean, it's, it's right. Um, I mean, it's been a while since I've read that, that Yates poem. Um, yeah. But yeah, there there is a, I mean, it's one of, uh, I, I mean, even though I, my memory is hazy on it, it is one of his most memorable poems. So yeah, that's, I wonder what other, do you see any other connections? I mean, so we've talked about, um, you know, and I think that the connection with Shakespeare is strictly in the form. You know, it's like, it's more of like a connection with the tradition that Shakespeare was working in. Right. I definitely think that certain war is alluding to World War II. And I'm fairly convinced that the parched years are alluding to the uh, Dust Bowl.
2: Yeah, or or just the depression in
0: general. Like, I mean, in, in a very literal way, the dust right.
2: bowl. But then, just too right, right, like right. the kind of you know dried out sort of um, thirsty yeah. <laughs> years. You know uh, of
0: of the depression. Yeah, it's it's um you know I have a feeling that you know there's a lot more that we can find here. You know, in in terms of you know what's it alluding to, and um uh, you know not just in literature but also in the uh, you know, in history. You know, one I think that the first uh, few times I read through it, immediately I, I took to the wonderful turn of phrase, these miniatures of hands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because what I love what he's doing there is he's taking a very common feeling, you know, the sense of awe when you look at a child's hand and, you know, just notice it, the size of it in relation to your own. But he's taking, you know, and again, that's that's a very common feeling, and I've put it in very common, forgettable language. And he's taken it, and in four words, yeah, these miniatures of hands, he's created this wonderful image. And I just think that that's um, you know, I don't have anything more to say about it than just to admire. The craft in that line, um, the precision. Yeah, and exactly. then of course
2: he's taken that kind of like vividly calls to mind like a baby's hands, right? Um, and then he's, you know, he snarled them up with seaweed, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, <laughs> right. which is like striking, like in a yeah. disturbing kind of way,
0: and in, in a, a sort of surrealistic
1: way too. Yeah. What is the night slow poison?
0: I was going to ask that myself. What is that? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I was, to, to me, it's time. He's talking yeah. about time. Yeah, yeah. It's I, both I, mild and bland, and that's that's yep. what moves the blood. It moves us forward. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah it, it's so funny. Uh, in my copy here, I have time with question mark written right next to times uh, <laughs> uh, night slow poison. So that's really cool.
2: It, it's uh, and it's like if you think about. I mean, what's that suggesting that as we age, we're slowly dying? So it's like we're getting slowly poisoned. It's like. You know, yeah. Someone's mixing uh, arsenic into our food or whatever, <laughs> right. and every every day we get like another yeah. dose. Pretty, you know. But it's we are slowly being poisoned, just like as we're slowly aging, right? Yeah. Uh, the night slow poison tolerant and bland. Yeah. You know, it's like it. You know, it's just like this sort of thing that drags on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know.
0: it, it's tolerant because it has time, because it is time. Yeah. It's just, it's going to wait yeah. you out. Uh, it, you know, it reminds me from lines from uh, As I Walked Out One Evening uh, by um, by Auden. Yeah, you know, um, you cannot conquer time. You know, right. <laughs> time waits in the shadows, um, you know, and coughs, coughs when you would kiss. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I mean, kind of related to
2: this whole idea, too, another phrase in the poem that... Um, is always uh particularly striking to me too is this uh in the second line um beneath the innocence of mourning flesh right and i mean it's just an odd way to put it i guess what he's talking about there is like you know young flesh like a a baby Right. right Um, you know, and it's mourning as it's 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 in the beginning, the dawn of its existence, right? Mm-hmm. But I, and th- there's because he's talking about beneath the innocence of morning flesh, concealed hintings of death. She yeah. does not heed, right? And of course, I mean, it's the, the literal death that we were just kind of talking about that that's going to happen to everybody. That, that that's inevitable, right? Right. But there's also this kind of spiritual kind of death Mm. corruption of this childish innocence that's 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 also inevitable right um and so mourning flesh it it, it's almost like because it's such an odd phrase i think originally when i read it i i always wanted to read it as mourning as an m o you are an i n g s like mourning right. as you mourn for someone mourning flesh like right flesh that's mourning this kind of death that it has within itself that's mourning it's um it's it's impermanence it's it's you know it's fragility right yeah and i, th- I think there's almost like a pun on that
0: there i mean yeah. i don't know if that's just me or what no, I, I can definitely see that. I, I can't help but think of that, uh, actually, yeah. when now that you mention it. And also, um, you know, if we do kind of read that pun and we think of the mourning, you know, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, yeah. uh, then it kind of, there's a lot of tension with the word innocence that comes before that. Because yeah. it's, you know, if you are in a state of mourning, then your innocence has been, if not taken away from you, at least diminished so that that's a really interesting thing to think about to chew on, yeah. you know.
2: Beneath the innocence, yeah, of morning flesh, like underneath, like she, the baby looks innocent, but underneath this is something else, right? And then, of course, then from there it switch, it, it shifts into, as I said earlier, the, the kind of a, a past tense. Coldest of winds have blown this hair; it's already happened. And mesh of seaweed snarled these miniatures of hands. The night slow, poison tolerant and bland has moved her blood. It's already begun. But then it, then, it shifts back into what may happen. Parched years that I have seen that may be hers appear. Now he's thinking again, like what could be her future? Death and certain war. Uh, and, war. and then again, the, uh, one, another striking line, uh, phrase is the slim legged green. Like, like so it's like the spoiled, from, from this morning flesh to kind of like this spoiled, infected flesh or whatever. I think of someone whose legs are rotting or
0: something like that. Right? Yeah, That's
2: yeah. It's really creepy.
0: And I'm also getting a, um, you know, because we see the seaweed uh, earlier, uh-huh. you know, and then the green kind of, you know, the slim legs green. I'm, I'm also, I mean, again, we, we've kind of moved away from the sea. But I yeah. can't help but think of a sea change, you know, uh, alluding to The Tempest. Um, yeah. Again, that might be a stretch in this case, but, um, you know, it's definitely a, you know, something, an association that would come to mind, I think. So I, I guess what I, something I'd like to comment on is, um, since this is a uh, a speculation, you know, a speculative poem, why mm. a daughter? You know, why not a son?
1: Yeah, that's a good, yeah.
2: I think... Um yeah, I mean, Barreline, do you have any thoughts on
1: that? Well, I'm just, yeah, I'm thinking, I think, um, in terms of what the, like, some of the conventions he's playing with, mm-hmm. I, I know that there are, I know that there are certainly, like, for my son poems, but I do think yeah. that they tend to capture, like, a different tone. Like, when I start imagining that, it would just be interesting, and I think his imagination might go to different places, um, but I want, but I think, I think that's part of it, um, and I think part of it too is is maybe um the the way that that the daughters are seen as as more of this representation of of innocence and and
2: yeah.
1: or whatever like yeah, of course there's you know the the over and latent sexism in that, but I think um that idea to to take um you know yeah just to t- to take that uh that daughter and that that innocence and then do this to it and and I take those kind of speculations I think just twist the knife a little bit harder whereas like um you know, it, it, we were talking about World War II, well, c- certain death was, was for the sons, you know what I mean? It wasn't necessarily for, um, it wasn't necessarily for the daughters. It would be if war visited your...
2: Yeah, your country, right, but, right. You know, we I mean, if the whole we world was...
1: Send. We had to volunteer, we weren't going to necessarily send our daughters, we were going to send our sons into that. And Maybe there's just an expectation that sexist that is, that sons will encounter that kind of a world, more than, than daughters would, but I, I yeah, I don't know.
2: Yeah, I agree with that, this idea that, like, daughters more than sons are to be protective
0: Mm.
2: right um i mean it's and it's still a part of our culture oh yeah 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 i mean like growing up like i know that i was allowed to like roam the streets and things like that but like my nieces or my friend sisters or whatever they want you know um so there's there there is that kind of like you know um For better or worse, like there and there's a kind of sexist um, assumption behind it is that you have to protect the daughters more that they're more vulnerable,
0: right? So yeah,
2: yeah, I I agree with Bowline. I think that he he's probably playing on that.
1: What? How about you, Kevin? What I mean?
0: Yeah, I mean, well, it's interesting because I, I and I definitely I couldn't read. You know, fed on hate, she relishes the sting of others' agony. Perhaps the cruel bride of a syphilitic or a fool. Um, you know, I couldn't read that without thinking um sexism. Immediately assuming she'll become a bride, the idea of protecting her and the idea of of, you know, just horrible things befalling her. He's contrasting that with, well, and what if she's really a cruel person because that's within all of us to to have cruelty. You know, as Blake said cruelty has a human heart. But but you know, again, you I just can't read lines with that like that without registering some kind of sexism. And, you know, I think he's just, he's reflecting something that's there. And I think it's also, you know, there, there's a there's a nastiness in, you know, where he takes his mind. And it's interesting that this is, the poem ends rather abruptly once he gets to thinking of the cruelty. And I think that um, that kind of just feeds in, you know, he, he doesn't want, he doesn't want any part of it, uh, you know, in bringing a daughter into the world. Now, he doesn't say, you know... I have no child. You know, he says, I have no daughter, I desire none. So he desires no daughter. We don't know about his feelings about desiring a child. You know a son. Yeah, that's a good point. Although I would argue that on the basis of this poem, he's also not wild about the idea of having a son. I think that's very (laughs) easy to you know, to, to say, but uh, I, I don't know, and and, and I, I don't think I'm coming to any kind of conclusion here, I'm just sort of, like, thinking through, these are the thoughts I'm right. having as I read the poem. Right. I,
2: I also think, just to come back to, like, this idea that it's um, alluding to that Yeats poem, is that those lines that you cite, uh, Kevin, um, about, or, fed on hate, she relishes the sting of others' agony, Perhaps the cruel bride of a syphilitic or a fool, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, again, that kind of brings me back to the Yeats poem where he is imagining like what kind of woman she's going to be and what her relation to men are going mm-hmm. to be. Um, in, in Yeats' poem, um, the third stanza, you know, and he's kind of like, like he's in this poem, seems to be processing his own stuff. <laughs> you know, like anxieties. his own yeah. hangups, mm-hmm. his own, the the things that he's gone through and like not wanting to see that repeated or by his daughter, like not wanting to see her mm-hmm. go through those kind of things, or not wanting her to put someone else, in Yates's case, not wanting her to put someone else through the stuff that, you know, women have put mm-hmm. him through. Yeah. Right, he, so he writes, may she be granted beauty. And yet not beauty to make a stranger's eye distraught or hers before a looking glass. For such being made beautiful overmuch, consider beauty a sufficient end. Lose natural kindness and maybe the heart revealing intimacy that chooses right and never find a friend. Right? Right. So again, in in both poems, are sort of kind of thinking about how the daughter's character will be revealed through her relationship with men, right? Yeah. And um which is a sexist kind of thing to do, I guess. Yeah. Um but like, you know, it's interesting that um Keys imagines his hypothetical daughter is like fed on hate, you know, like because she's steeped in this world of nastiness she's going to become nasty herself yeah and not only is she going to find herself in an unhappy marriage right but she's going to be cruel to this poor bastard right (laughs) Right. and like you know make his life even more miserable she's going to take out her misery on him right um really cynical pessimistic thing to think about and i I, yeah i I agree with what what Bowerline was saying it's 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 interesting that once he gets to those particular speculations is where he kind of snaps out of his sort of speculations and says, well, wow, but these speculations sour in the sun like that. That's mm-hmm. like the height of it. I
1: mean, and this is more tangentially related uh, to that, but I, I was just, it's interesting to me too. We, we talked about it unraveling and like this progression and then that sort of like abrupt um, pullback. But, but it, I think um it's intentional. It's just, it, and it's interesting to me that um, you know, death in certain war is not the worst thing that he can imagine. <laughs> yeah, her. right. You know, it's actually, it's actually ha- imagining that she would be changed into this person. That's yeah, yeah. That, that's that's cruel and hateful, and uh, you know, is is inhuman essentially, and and tied to some fool or you know, a guy that with a, a sexually transmitted disease that could that could ravage her body too.
2: Yeah, so not only that she, like, if by the end of the poem, he's not only imagining his daughter, and I, Kevin said this earlier, yeah, yeah. he's not only imagining his daughter as a victim, which is right. horrible yeah, enough, yeah. but the- imagine if she becomes a victimizer, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. If she's not just passively affected by, you know, uh, the sins of this world, but she's an active participant in that. Right.
0: That's kind
1: of. And that's like that's the true nightmare that he. Yeah. Caused.
0: Right. 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 Do you find the speaker of this poem relatable? I mean, if this if this poem were to be taken as the entire worldview of this speaker, then I don't share it. But I, if it's just a facet of a larger worldview, that can also be balanced with. You know, more hopeful leanings. Then, then yes, I can definitely relate. Does that make sense? I, I'm wondering what uh, yeah. what you both think.
2: Yeah, I mean, Keyes is not the most hopeful of right. I mean, you know, <laughs> he probably killed himself, right? right? And, um, and well, I'm sorry, and but he is an excessively bitter poet. Yeah. I mean, like he
0: makes Larkin seem happy-go-lucky. <laughs> yeah, that's what that is saying quite a lot. Uh, this seems there, the
1: most approachable. Yeah act too and it's kind of because yeah. it's it's you know it's it's also it's about him. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, and, and I guess really exactly. the Yeah, I, I guess the other part of my question too is um he's really bitter. We don't feel as bitter as he does. What does that mean? Like does it matter that you know this this poem is saying something that's it's going to an extreme in its vision that we normally would not go to. Does that you know does that matter? does it how How do we relate to that? I hope well, that makes sense,
1: yeah, sure. no, I mean, I'll take a stab at it. I mean, okay. I think it kind of gets at what you're saying. how like for you, this might be something that you it's like you would you would pass through it and and to me, it's just it it becomes a, a brilliant articulation of of despair
0: right
1: your yeah. anxiety and and we've all i mean, I don't know I, I've definitely been through through moments that, of despair or whatever mm-hmm. I'm full of feeling on my level. and so I think it just it that's how I relate to it. It brings me back to that place right, yeah. and, um, where, I, where I felt that pitch black. You know what I mean? Now, it, it, yeah. it, it seems like for, for Keys, uh, this does seem more like a, an articulation of a, of a worldview. That's, uh, you know, it's not just one aspect of him. It, it's, it's capturing something that was real about him.
0: Yeah.
2: On, on one level, I'm attracted to it because I'm, I'm interested in, in characters in fiction and in, in, in speakers in poetry who do and say unacceptable things. Mm -hmm. i think yeah yeah right there's something that attracts me to it or like extreme things right Yeah, extreme bitterness or even like sometimes like you know like i find myself really drawn to frederick seidel i think for a lot Mm -hmm. of those same reasons like the kind of horrible things that he says in in his poems that are sort of half serious and half not and i almost feel like that's true of keys too like uh Bauerlein talked about it being like a joke. Well, there's a sort of black humor here, I think, yeah. to it. Well, I also think there is some tenderness to it, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, and yeah, it, there's
2: yeah. also there's something behind that bitterness besides just bitterness, right? Right? There's a sort of a moral sense that I'm getting from this poem too. Where, oh, definitely. definitely.
1: Yeah, because he would. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that helps hold it together. Because he wouldn't. He wouldn't have this sense of fear if he didn't care at all.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's almost like his, this kind of, you know, um, nihilistic, extremely bitter persona that he takes on as a way of um, a
1: protective.
2: Yeah, it's a coping in a way. against yeah. that kind of, disp- like, real hurt and despair, you know? Yeah,
1: um, yeah no, no. And I was just, just because Kevin was kind of asking us how, how we relate to. This sort of character that he's creating again and again it could just because it's fresh on my mind but i've been because of um paul schrader writing and directing first or reform that i also wanted to go back and look at some of his other stuff so he, he wrote taxi driver yeah
2: and interviews oh, okay. were with
1: he said this this character of the priest that he wrote and and uh De Niro's Travis Bickle from that right are actually sort of in, in his mind the, the same character mm. right just a manifestation of that person in, in a different time and he's done that at different times in his career Mishima I think he said the uh, the Japanese uh, novelist that yep. he did a movie about is um another example I and mean, I've never seen it but American Gigolo was another one of these okay, yeah.
0: manifestations
1: okay. of but I, I kind of do I mean it obviously it's he he's isn't isn't uh, travis bickle right it, it's more articulate than that but i can almost hear some of these phrases being articulated in his little diary that goes through yeah the movie yeah. and it's most what, what i kind of see um schrader doing it, it's he, he called it um or an interview with ethan Hawke, who plays the priest said uh schrader wanted him to do a leading away performance which is essentially like um the, the deeper the the scenes progress in the film the the more distant the more oh. extreme, the more scary the character comes to us which is it's kind of exactly what happens with uh this unraveling of the poem that the yeah. character seems uh harder to understand and i mean by the end of it it's like whoa like we we've gone way over the deep end and so yeah. i think Peter has this way of kind of articulating the process of how his characters move into like become extremists i really do think he has um a, a gift for that and i, I I don't know, just something about the way you're talking about it, Kevin, too, about... Um, that's an interesting parallel. Yeah. Spare. yeah, yeah. It made me think of it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, the, you know, that's kind of an alienated figure, I mean...
1: Right, totally isolated. Right, right, that isolation. Yeah.
2: I mean, you ever look at photographs of Keith? There's, like, this one photograph, especially, where he's just, like, sitting in the dark room or whatever. <laughs> and he's looking, right? Yeah. At, it's, yeah.
0: Well, that's about all the time we have. Thank you for tuning in to Works Cited, a podcast about poems. Be sure to check out our website, workscitedpodcast.com, for more information about the poem that we discussed tonight. And here to play us out is Philadelphia's own The Late Greats.